Welcome to the official podcast. We are presented by WinBet. Betting is a team sport, but together at WinBet, Eric Allen in the studio, joined by a familiar face. That is Lejay Doosable, my partner in crime throughout the regular season. It's been too long. How are you, Deuce? It's been forever, E. I thought you forgot about me, man. I hadn't heard from you, you know what I'm saying? The off-season's here. You don't know me anymore. It's oh, it's all love, Deuce. <laughs> I know it. I'm just messing with you, man. It's good to it's good to see you again, man. It's been it's been a while. What combine was the last time we saw each other? I believe. Yeah, it, it, like uh, two ships passing in the night. Uh, speaking of the combine, <laughs> man, you work as hard as anybody in terms of your analysis. Some former players just rely on their past experiences, but you're always in the film room. What's it been like for you professionally as far as getting ready for this draft? I was just talking about this to somebody the other day, EA. And I, I just don't remember the draft taking this long. Now, is it because I've been more invested in it this year, right? Because I was at the Senior Bowl. I was at the Combine. And this is the first time in my career where I went to both of those events. Right. So it seemed like it's, it's just been ages since the Combine. It seems like it's been ages since the Senior Bowl. And I think... That is kind of, I want to say it's it's worn on me, but it's just like, I, I can't remember even when I was playing that the drop off from like the combine to draft day was this long. So it's just, it's been a long process, but we're here, EA. I can't complain. We are finally here. Um, the Jets, two pivotal picks in the top 10 and four in the top 40. So um, it's a good day to be a Jet, man. Uh, hey, no doubt about it. Great transition, man. A pro's pro. What's the best case scenario for the Jets at the top of the draft, the way you're viewing it right now? Because I don't remember a top three with as much uncertainty as we're facing now in recent time. Yeah, and you said it perfectly right there, EA. I think the Jets are in a tricky spot because if you're a top two team picking – you kind of get what you want, kind of get what you had your eyes set out on. If you're picking seven through 10, the board has been laid. The foundation has been laid for you, so you know where you're going from there. But when you're picking that four to six range, it's an iffy place to be in, EA. I'm not even going to lie because the draft board, as you said, right, this is the first time in recent years that the draft board, we don't know how it's going to fall at one, two, or three. I think a month or two ago, everybody was certain that Aiden Hutchinson would be the number one overall pick. But it seems like Trayvon Walker has picked up some steam. And so, I mean, and even though in the combine, people assumed that Iki Kwanu was going to be the number one pick. And then there was Evan Neal was going to be the number one pick. So I can't remember a draft, to your point, where there was this much uncertainty. So if you're the Jets, like, you know, you're sitting back and waiting, like, well, we have our draft board, right? And every team has a draft board. If Iki Kwanu is your number one guy, and maybe it's followed by Aiden Hutchinson and Maybe it's Kayvon Thibodeau or Jermaine Johnson or Sauce Garner. It's just it's just a weird spot to be in because I would just break it down like this. This draft has no surefire superstars, but there's really right. good quality depth. There's going to be some real good quality starters in this draft, but the only thing is when you're picking in the top five, you, you want game changers, right? You want guys that are, you know, foundational pieces that you can build around, and this draft just doesn't have that. So if you're the Jets and you're sitting at the draft board in, in the top four, it just depends on how the first three picks fall. And that's why I say it's a really tricky spot to be in. But if you're Joe D, how are you hoping that board falls, getting back to the best case scenario? Because you mentioned Walker yeah. and Hutchinson before. 
it seems likely that they will be two of the top three picks, but we don't know at this point, of course. What are you hoping for if you're Joe D? Well, honestly, you're hoping that Aiden Hutchinson falls the four because you could take him in a heartbeat. He's the most pro-ready defensive end in this draft, and I think Jermaine Johnson is right behind him. And I think Jermaine has a little bit higher upside because he just learned how to pass rush this last year. With Aiden Hutchinson, it's kind of like a finished product. You know what you're going to get. He's going to come in, probably be an eight to ten sack guy, and people kind of snub their nose at that. But I'm like, there's not a lot of players in the NFL constantly doing that year in and year out, and I believe Aiden Hutchinson – We'll do that. But I mean, the chances of him falling to four are, are I would say, literally slim to none, right? Okay. Uh, Icky, Icky, but you Icky like Johnson, Kanu, right? You, I love Johnson, you, right? You, you've been very vocal about that. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it seems like he's picking up steam now, which is crazy, EA, right? I've been talking about this guy since before the Senior Bowl. And, you know, during the Senior Bowl, I said he wouldn't get out of the pick 20. Like, I didn't think he'd make it to pick 20. Now, I don't know if he makes it to pick 10. Honestly, um, just because he's aced every part of the draft process, you know, just from transferring. I mean, just his background story. Right. And you talk about the adversity he's went through going to junior college, then going to Georgia, then playing at Georgia, where we saw that how deep the Georgia defense was. He decided to bet on himself, leave, go to a team for one year in Florida State. And all he did was become the ACC defensive player of the year in that time. Right. And people are saying, well, he didn't do this at Georgia. Well, if you look at all the players at Georgia and the defensive linemen more specifically, they all didn't have gaudy numbers because they rotate so often because that defense and more specifically that defensive line is so deep that guys usually only stay on the field for four to five plays. So I think Jermaine Johnson showed that he could leave a team where he was playing about 30% of the snaps, go to another team and uptick to 60 plus percent of the snaps. So now you're not, you're not worried about durability and you see the effort that he plays with efforts, never going to be an issue with this guy. Again, He's just coming into his own as a pass rusher, put on a pass rush display at the Singer Bowl. I think he just fits the mantra of all gas, no breaks. I think it's a guy that Joe D and, you know, Robert Sala really would like to have, but I think they would like to have him more at 10 than at four. I just don't think he lasts till pick number 10. Yeah, and that's what you're talking about with that tricky situation. Now, I wanted to ask you, the way you view it, though, if you stay at four, is it offensive lineman or edge rusher? Uh, because I wanted to get your thoughts on Sauce Gardner, who most people have atop their cornerback yeah. uh, boards. Uh, Stingley's a very good player. He's just been a little bit banged up, and we'll have to see what happens. A lot of people think a that, lot of it banged that, up. <laughs> that 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 guy could be a star, though. Uh, you know. Yeah. But with that being but, said, do you see it as old lineman or edge at four? Yeah, so I'll break it down like this, and then going into your DB conversation, you can re-team me up, and we'll talk about that. Um, to me, I think it with Joe D and just knowing how he's he's wired and how he's done past drafts, it's going to be best player available. Now, if Iki Kwanu's there, I think Joe D doesn't care what everybody's saying in that war room. He's going to turn that card in for Iki Kwanu because if he has him as his number one overall player, um, granted, you know, there's uncertainty what, what, what would happen technically with George Fant or Makai Becton. George Fant's going into the last year of his deal. Makai Becton's had the injuries. Um, I just think it's hard-pressed for a GM to give up on his number one pick from two years ago, a top-ten pick at that. Um, but if Ike is there and the way that Joe D preaches always building in the trenches, right, especially offensive line and defensive line, I'm talking about getting great value. If, you, if he's your number one overall player, you get him at four. That's immense value. And you just have to figure out what to do with your offensive line later, right? You have a trade chip now and either Makai Becton or George Fent going into their last year of their deal because Ikki Kwanu 
if you take him at the number four spot, he's going to start from day one and more specifically probably at right tackle. Um, he's a guy that could play right guard, left guard, right tackle, left tackle, played all of it at NC State. So I think if he's there that they're going to run run to the podium and take him. The only time they wouldn't run to the podium is if Aiden Hutchinson was able to fall to four, and I just don't foresee that happening. And so there's the dues lean here a couple minutes into the podcast. Iki Aquanu out of NC State. Wouldn't that be something? Now, if you go Aquanu at four, and, and well, let's retreat a little bit and talk about the cornerback. Yeah. Sauce Gardner, nine career interceptions, never mm-hmm. gave up a touchdown during college. He plays with Spice on the outside. He can win on third down, loves playing man press coverage. We mentioned Stingley before, banged up at LSU after a productive, ultra-productive freshman year where you could have predicted that this guy was going to be a first-round pick a couple games into his college career. Maybe one overall. Yeah, yeah. so with that being said, Sauce Gardner, while you like him as a player, four might be too high for you. Yeah, I think any corner or safety or any secondary member, I just don't see the Jets. Just knowing the brash, knowing Coach Sala and his philosophy on defense, I don't foresee them taking a corner in the top 10 or in the first round, honestly, period. If you just look at the history of this defense, going back to Gus Bradley, going back to Coach Quinn, you know, when he left and went to Atlanta, Mm -hmm. they don't take corners specifically high in this draft. If you look at it, um, in San Francisco when Robert Sala was there, they were able to get – a guy like Richard Sermon towards the back end of his career, right? They were able to fill, take a filler on a guy like Jason Verrett. They got Kawan Williams, who was an undrafted free agent, but they got him from the Browns, right? Emmanuel Mosley, undrafted free agent. That's how they, he's just built this team. It's always been built from the front back, right? Because this defense is predicated off the defensive line creating havoc. So even though Sauce Garner, I love him. He's a great prospect, right? You talked about the, all the attributes, right? Hasn't given up a touchdown in his college career. A guy that likes to be on an island and man press. So I think he's better suited to go to the Giants, the crosstown team, to a Wink Martindale scheme where he's going to blitz and keep his corners on the island. Where in this defense on first and second down, we're going to be a little bit more zone happy, right? We're going to be more cover three, cover two. Then on third down, we're going to blitz and go man. So that's where he would flourish. I think Stingley would actually be a better fit because he's shown better in zone coverages as far as his inaptitude and in, in, as far as knowing what, you know, rec- which receiving routes are gum- coming, which uh, combination routes are coming and knowing how to attack certain zone coverages. And he, he's probably a better guy as far as taking the ball when it's in the air, especially going up and getting it at a high point. The thing about him is, like you talked about, right, EA, he hasn't been healthy. We haven't seen a healthy Derek Stingley since 2019, and at times he looks uninterested on film. I don't know if that's because he's so talented and doesn't take his best at times to, you know, lock people up, but there's certain scouts and talent evaluators that said that he doesn't have an alpha mentality, and most top corners have that alpha mentality, but if you get that 2019 Derek Stingley, you get the best DB in the draft, not just the best corner, the best DB in the draft. But that's a big if because we haven't seen that guy since 2019. Now, going back and watching this film from 2020 where he missed about three games and then some of it uh, in 2021 where he missed the last nine with the Liz Frank injury, the tape wasn't as bad as I originally thought it was, right? But it just wasn't as dominant as we saw in the 2019. He's got a great feel for the game, natural instincts. Yeah. Uh, you know, some people would say is Stingley's boomer bust. Like this guy could be uh, – you know, could multi- be. Uh, a multi-time Pro Bowl player, an All-Pro player, and you know, or you might be getting a guy's a little bit banged up here early in his career, and we'll see what happens. All right, so at ten, 
Give me like three players if the Jets stay there, you have your eyes on. Well, one, Jermaine Johnson, who we talked about earlier. I mean, yep. I think the, the brass is praying, like on their knees, praying that he falls at 10. I just don't foresee it happening. But, you know, this is the one draft where there's so much uncertainty. We really, truly don't know how the top three are going to pan out. It could go edge top three. Then what do you do? Do you not take Jermaine at four? Or do you try to still wait to get him at 10? Because if there, if it goes edge, 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 I can tell you for a certainty he's most likely not getting to pick 10. Right. And then even George Karloffis or somebody might actually come in top 10 behind him also. Cause if you look at Seattle and Atlanta, they're looking for edge rush as well, too. And maybe even the Giants. Uh, I think they're going to take Sauce Garner with their second pick. But uh, I would say he's he's a player I'm looking at, Jermaine Johnson. If he was happened to slip to the you know number 10 spot. Another guy, Jamin, Jamison Williams, to me was my number yep. one receiver in this class before the injury. He was the only receiver I felt comfortable taking in the top 10 before the injury. Now I don't have any receiver as a top 10 pick. But if, you know, the medicals come back, the Jets staff, the medical staff feels comfortable enough or they see that, you know, this guy's going to recover. ACLs aren't what they used to be. EA guys are coming back quicker from those. If they feel comfortable enough where this guy is maybe ready to go in October, then I think he adds an element to this team that they they need on offense. If you look at what the Jets tried to do in the offseason and trading for Tyreek Hill, Jamison Williams is in that same build, right? He puts the fear of God in men at the safety position, right? And that helps with the run game because you have to keep the safeties back. So now you have a lighter box, and anybody that knows this Mike LaFleur offense, he truly wants to run the football and then set everything up off of that. So it's going to help you with the run game, but it's also going to help you with Zach Wilson and that big arm being able to take those shots down the field. And that's going to open the game up underneath for Elijah Moore, for Corey Davis, for the two tight ends, Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama. So I think Jamison Williams would be a really nice piece for the Jets. And then the last uh, person I would say, and I'm not a huge fan of this one, EA, but uh, just to help the offense out, I'm going to go Drake London, right? Um, okay. Also a guy that's, a guy that's not on currently on the roster right now, a bigger frame guy, contested 50-50 jump ball guy, really good intermediate route runner. Sometimes does a really good job because he has the back the basketball background as far as being a power forward on, on little comeback routes of shielding that body and making it big so the DB can't play through him and being able to catch the ball. So that's another element that the Jets don't have, a bigger receiver that can go up and get the ball. So those would be the three guys I would say at the number 10 spot. They're kind of in play. But knowing Joe D, honestly, I, I would not be surprised if they try to trade back at that 10 spot because I don't have any of those receivers as a top 10 player in this draft. If Jermaine's there, they're not running. They're sprinting up to the podium to turn that in, especially if they don't go edge at number four. But if Jermaine is gone and they go O-line number four, I think Joe D is going to do his best to try to trade back there. WinBet is now live in New Jersey, and they're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports, from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. They have what you need to win. Sign up today to receive a special offer, risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. WinBet, an official sportsbook and gaming partner of the New York Jets. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-270-7117. Yeah, yeah, and you could definitely see that happening. This draft is all about depth, and you talked about the lack of star power up top, especially if the Jets are sitting there at 10, and they do have a cluster of players. Going yeah. back would be advantageous for a team that has multiple needs. So you were talking big time there about receivers. You covered Jameson Williams. You talked about Drake London. 
The Jets have capital to trade for an established veteran. <laughs> they attempted to trade for Tyreek Hill, as you mentioned. We know for a fact Debo Samuel has said that he wants to be traded. John Lynch, the 49ers GM, says he can't ever imagine moving Debo Samuel. So I just want to ask you two things. If you're Joe D, do you make the call to check in with John Lynch? And part B of that would be, okay, if he's ever willing to listen to an offer, what would you offer uh, if you chose to go in that direction? Yeah, yeah, I love it when GMs or, or personnel come out and say, I couldn't imagine ever, you know, trading this player away until they hear an offer they love, right? Essentially, especially if a player is disgruntled and has really put his foot in the ground and said, I'm not playing for you guys anymore. So make this trade happen. That way we can, you know, leave amicably. You can get some draft capital and I can go where I want to go and get paid. And we've seen that, you know, over, over the years, you know, unfortunately it happened to the, I say, unfortunately, but maybe fortunately it happened with the Jets and Jamal Adams. He wanted out. Mm -hmm. They ended up having to trade and they got great value back for him. We saw it with Tariq Hill. Like I believe the Christian Kirk deal made him, I want to say expendable, but it, it, it made it where the price tag was so you know crazy that Kansas City was like, well, we can't pay him. We're paying Patrick Mahomes. So they decided to let him go get a trade. Devontae Adams, the same thing, right? He wanted his he wanted his way out. He wanted to get back closer to home, get with his best friend, Derek Carr, and force his way out. So we kind of see a power shift, right? Kind of like the NBA where players have kind of been able to force their way, at, their way out. And it's been unique to watch. I love it as an ex-player. But just knowing the owners and how they think, I don't know how much longer it's going to last, right? So is John Lynch and the brass in San Francisco willing to really, like, you know, put their foot down and be like, well, you're going to play for us or you're not playing for anybody with a young quarterback going into year two that you traded so much draft capital away for? Yes, he's already come out and say Jimmy Garoppolo. There's a potential we keep him. I think that's because if you do lose a Debo Samuel, you need a veteran quarterback. You can't just throw Trey Lance out there into that fire with no surefire, you know, star power on the outside to get him, you know, for him to get the ball to, to make plays. So I just think that you know, people will say, you know, the 49ers have the ball in their court. Uh, I just think they're up against the time, honestly, because if Debo is dead set on not being there, we've seen it time and time again, stars in this league will force their way out. Now, I almost certainly believe that Joe D has already checked in with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, the Jets are one of the few teams that have the draft capital in the cap space to take them. To answer your second part, EA, what would I be willing to give give up to get Debo? Um, I've heard some obnoxious things out there on Twitter land. Uh, like, yeah, man, you got an interesting up. take. You got to you uh, yeah. because I really want you to get into it because yeah, you you got to break down something that you hit on before. I'm interrupting you a little bit, but I really like the way you, you've looked at this. Because you talk about the offense that is predicated on the run game, and then get into specifics yeah. about the money, which you'll get into. Yeah. So, um, talking about what the Jets were willing to give up to get Tyreek Hill, right? I believe it was the two second round picks, it was just 35 38, the 69 pick, but I think they were receiving a fourth round pick back, right? So, essentially, it's almost kind of like a wash. It's like two second round picks, essentially, because you're getting Tyreek Hill and you're getting a fourth round pick back. Um, Tyreek Hill's an all-pro, right? He's been doing it since 2016. I believe he's 29 years old. But again, still puts the fear of God in, de in, de in defensive corners, coordinators, and safeties. So Debo Samuel, right? If you look at his career, had a pretty good rookie season. Banged up his second year, didn't play a lot. Uh, and had an elite year last year. So 
I'm sorry. I'm not paying what I was paying for Tariq Hill for Debo Samuel. One, he is 26 years old, and that's still young. But the way he plays the game and the injury history he's had, going back even to college, that would make me fearful of paying a guy 25 to 28 mil, which essentially he's kind of asking for because there was rumors he wanted to be the highest non-paid quarterback, uh, highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. So you're looking at somewhere upwards to 25 to 28 million dollars a year. And I just went, I mean, so I'm trading away the number 10 pick, which to, I know Joe D, that's not even on the table. That's ridiculous to even think about. Um, but not only trading that away, but also having to pay a guy 25 to 28 million that has an injury history. Now, granted, I love Debo. I love the mentality he brings. He literally was carrying that San Francisco offense last year throughout the playoffs because that defense was was stifling other teams, but they really weren't doing too much on offense until Debo Samuel got Samuel got the ball in his hand. But I, I just don't feel comfortable giving up draft capital of a top 10 pick for a player that's not as good as a Tyreek Hill, who's probably a number three or four receiver in the NFL. Um, Debo Samuels is a really good piece on offense. You know, they call him wide back, plays yep. receiver and running back as well. Well, he became their primary running play. back last year, but we yeah, don't know. Uh, which, he, he is a publicly talked about. Go ahead. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't understand that at all either because Eliza Mitchell was playing well. In games, I believe, I did the research on this and while I was breaking down film last year, I want to say in games that he rushed for over 90 yards, I think they were like 7-1 and one or 8-1. and one. So I don't understand how he wasn't the bell cow. Now, he got banged up a few games. I think he only played 12 games last year, not including the playoffs. But, like, anytime he was in there and they fed him the ball, good things happened for them, right? And it, it actually helped Debo, you know, with, with some of, you know, him getting open and Kyle Shanahan finding unique ways to get him the ball in open space. Um, but, yeah, he kind of became their main back down the stretch, and I didn't get that because I thought Elijah Moore – was really their bell cow and, and carried them a lot of a lot of games that like you didn't see it on a stat sheet, but he would have like 20 something carries a game and average close to four yards in, in all those games where they were winning games. So um I get why Debo doesn't want to be, you know, technically a wide back. That's a lot of wear and tear on a guy, especially with the injury history that he has. But that's what makes him unique also, right? That's also one of his selling points in negotiations that I do this at running back, I do this at receiver, you get the ball to me in space. I'm a yak king. Like, I, I believe he's one of the top guys in yak yardage in the NFL. So, I mean, to me, him saying he doesn't want to do that. Now, granted, he was on a good trajectory before week 11 when they started giving him more carries in the backfield. Um, I, st I still believe he went over 1,400 yards receiving, which is still very elite, right? But I just think what makes him so unique is the mentality and how tough he plays, right? He plays like a defensive player on offense. Yeah, uh, I mean that guy is. So, oh, awesome. so to answer your he, question, EA, it, it, what I would feel comfortable nails. with, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I don't, I couldn't give him two twos because essentially that's what Tyreek was going for. I would say a second and a third. I would feel comfortable giving up to get Debo because okay, again, stop. you're not just giving up the draft capital. You have to pay a guy, you know, top two or three receiver money right now when you trade for him. So. I mean, you're not just giving up the draft capital. You got to give up. Well, the cap that's well. that's the thing. It's not it's not apples to apples because when you do bring a guy in, you know, potentially we're guessing here, we're hypothesizing that hey, this guy wants more money. All right. So a lot of times when people are unhappy in a certain place, it's more than just the way they're using me. It might come down to financial it's the money. details. <laughs> yeah, it's the so, money, hundred so, percent. So, 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 Deuce. Straight up, do you think 
Samuel is moved draft weekend, or you think they sit tight and try to work something out? I'm not talking. I'm not even talking about the Jets. I'm talking about the whole league. It, anybody, yeah. I think if it doesn't happen this weekend, it, it's going to be tough for San Fran to do it, mm. right? Because now everybody's called your bluff, and now, like you said, you wanted you know this pick or that pick for Debo Samuel. Now you're talking about 2023 picks, right? So are our teams willing to, to give up a top tier 2023 pick in the future for Debo Samuel? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But once your bluff has been called and you, you haven't been able to trade him, then his market value is not as great. OK, because teams have filled those needs via the draft. Now, again, there's no surefire superstars in this draft. But if we look at it as a whole, right, all the players that are I want to say disgruntled because I was a player, all the players that aren't happy with their current contract situation is a better political way to say it. Most of those guys were drafted in the second or third round. They weren't first-round picks. Debo yeah. Samuel, D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, which is a third-round pick. So there's great value in getting a guy in the second or third round, especially in this receiver class. This is a deep receiver class. Again, there's not going to be no surefire X receivers, which is the number one receiver coming out day one. There's no Jamar Chases, right? There's no Julios. There's no A.J. Greens. But there's going to be some good number two receivers that have potential to maybe elevate themselves into a number one. So if a team decides to take a guy in the second round, maybe he could be the next Debo. Maybe he could be the next DK. Maybe he could be the next, you know, Terry McLaurin. So I think teams are looking at it that way. So I think San Francisco, John Lynch can say, and I love John Lynch. I spent my last year in San Francisco. I love him and Kyle. He can say all he wants about he don't foresee them trading. If Debo doesn't want to be there and he's ready to, to really sit down and hold out, then you're up against the eight ball because – Again, you got a young quarterback that you traded away a lot of draft capital for, and you got to get him some help weapons. So if Debo holds out and Trey Lance doesn't have him on the outside, you better you better damn sure have somebody <laughs> that can fill that void or, or ain't nobody going to be in San Francisco in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, you can understand both sides of the coin and both sides of the ledger if you're a receiver or you are any player who's outperformed where you were drafted and you're a couple of years into the league, you're looking at the money being thrown around and say, Hey, wh where's mine? But you also get 100%. it from a team's perspective by saying, Hey, you're under contract. You're under contract for us for a couple more years. We don't have incentive to do this. So it's just an interesting dynamic that not just the 49ers have to work through, a lot of teams, and you mentioned those various receivers. That's why a lot of these receivers remain in our headlines every day because we're wondering what's the next move. Are they going to sign a contract? Potentially, will guys still be on the move here up until the draft? WinBet is now live in New Jersey, and they're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. They have what you need to win. Sign up today to receive a special offer, risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. WinBet, an official sportsbook and gaming partner of the New York Jets. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-270-7117. Okay, before we get to some exciting news about you, uh, real quick, how would you rate the Jets' needs in order as you head to the draft, their needs? It's a good question, man. I've gotten this question a lot on Twitter. Uh, and and my, my list might surprise people, but I think these are underlying lists. So I think one, obviously, is, is edge rush, right? And honestly, the way I've heard Joe D talk the last couple of days, I, it seems like he's really banking on Carl Lawson being 100% healthy when the season starts, right? 
And they've added, you know, Jacob Martin in the offseason from the Texans, who's going to help on special teams and help on third down pass rush. Uh, John Franklin Myers will be able to kick inside more on third downs as a pass rush specialist. Uh, everybody's saying that he can move inside right away on first and second down. You guys are tripping. They paid him money to play on the outside. The run defense was terrible last year, but if John Franklin Myers was playing inside, it would have been even worse. So uh, John Franklin Myers stifles tight ends in the run game. We saw that versus Tennessee Titans. We saw it versus the Houston Texans. Like He's their big end in this, posi- in this defensive scheme. I played that position. You got to have a bigger end to really set that edge in this defense, right? So John Franklin Myers is going to be on the outside. I think it's a situation where Robert Sala would like to have what he had in San Francisco. They paid the year D4 the year before Bosa. Same situation, Carl Lawson, they, and they both end up getting hurt. Then they draft a guy like a Jermaine Johnson or Nick Bosa like they did in San Francisco. They were able to bring D Ford along slowly. He didn't have to take all the reps right away. He was able to be a third-down specialist and then sublet Eric Armstead and also Nick Bosa on some on some reps on first and second down. I think that's a situation that you know Robert Sala would love to have if he's able to get a guy like uh, Jermaine Johnson or even an end later on, if Carl Lawson is 100% healthy, he stays in on first and second down, being able to sublet him with an Arnold Ebikati or a Boye Mafe maybe in the second round. So I think defensive end is the first one. Second one is safety. Now, I know the Jets have signed a ton. I mean, Eric, a ton of safeties this offseason. I mean, talking about Will Parks coming back and signing him, LaMarcus Joyner signing back. Right. I think Elijah Riley got tendered, uh, exclusive rights tendered, came back. Also, Jason Pinnock is going to be there. Ashton Davis is going to be there. Um, uh, Marcel Harris from 49ers has experience at safety and linebacker, but I think he'll be more of a linebacker in the Jets okay. scheme. Uh, I just think they need to pair somebody with Jordan Whitehead, right? A guy like Lewis Seen, to me, if he falls to the second round, is a match made in heaven. Guy has great range, literally plays at the speed that he ran at the combine at the sub 4-4 and hits people at that speed. Like when he hits people, they go back at four, sub 4-4 four, four speed, uh, EA. And it's a guy that has good range. Now, the secondary coach is going to have to table in some of his aggression, right? Because there's a lot of interceptions he left on the field because he was going for the big hit. But to me, he has the biggest upside at the safety position in this draft. I think he could end up being the best safety in this draft when it's all said and done. Wow. Um, yeah, you like yeah. the second. You like the value of the second tier safeties in this draft, don't 100%. you? Hundred percent. Goes yeah. beyond scene. Yep. Yeah, it, it goes beyond scene. And to me, I think the second tier value. And they say second tier, but I don't, honestly, I, I put Lewis Scene kind of right there with uh, well Kyle Hamilton. Right. I don't think he's that far of a drop off from Kyle Hamilton. He's definitely more athletic than him. Uh, guys like uh, Jalen Petrie, a guy like Jaquan Bursker, a guy like Dax Hill. Um, these guys have great value in the second round. Like Dax Hill is more of a, you know, a, a nickel guy. He can play in the slot, but the Jets kind of already have too many nickels. If you, you ask me, DJ Reed has nickel experience, but will be on the outside. You know, Michael Carter, uh, Javelin Guidry have, have nickel experience. Brandon Echo has nickel experience. So I think the Jets are set at the nickel spot. So Dax Hill, even though he can play, deep middle safety. He made his way in Michigan by playing in the slot and taking away the slot receiver. So I think he's more of a slot guy. Same thing mm. with Jalen Petrie. I think Jaquan Bursker to me is a really good all around good safety. A guy that can play in the box. The guy can play in the meet, uh, middle deep uh, half of, of the field. He's just an all around good player. Just turn on that Wisconsin tape from last year. And he was the best player on that field. So, I mean, like I said, there's great value in that second tier at the safety position with guys like Jalen Petrie, um, Jaquan Bursker, Lewis Seen, who may not even make it out of the first round. I've been told some teams really like him. Dax Hill, there's there's great value in that second tier right there. 
Yeah, so so you're ranking edge first and then safety, even though the Jets have strength in numbers right now. You'd like to see somebody else. And for the green and white, the value might match perfectly for them at the top of the second round. Yeah, 100%. And then I would have to go receiver, right? And okay. I only say that because I think uh, they'll take a look at safety in the second round. I think they'll take a look at receiver in the second round, depending how the draft board falls out. And I think there's great value, like we talked about earlier, EA. There's no receiver coming in from day one that's going to be out of this rookie class. That's going to be a X receiver, a true number one receiver. So there's great value in that second round. We just spoke about the receivers that are up for contracts, right? All of them were in second and third round. Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuels, AJ Brown. These were second and third round picks. So a guy like Jalen Torbert or a guy like, you know, Christian Watson from North Dakota State, there's great value in getting those guys in the second round, these are bigger receivers. Or even a guy like George Pickens, who had uh, had some injuries at Georgia, but came back for the national championship and looked good and really killed the combine. I think he ran a lot faster than most people thought he would. Has sure hands as a, a contested 50-50 jump guy and uh, is also a really good intermediate route runner. So I think there's great value in a guy like Jalen Tober, uh, Christian Watson, or even George Pickens getting them in the second round. Yeah, and I got my eyes on Jahan Dotson out of Penn State. I don't know if I don't he's think he makes it out the, first. the second round, yeah. but 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 they all can't go in the first round either. So to your point, 100%. there's going to be some quality pass catchers there at the top of the second. Okay, so it's, uh, hold on, hold on. To, yeah, some... to add to that point, I think receiver is yeah. the one position that's coming into the league more ready than any other position. So I think teams value and understand that. And again, we just talked about the, the the second and third round receivers up for contracts next year that are holding out right now. So I think if you look at that as a whole, like we can get a guy in the second round, he could be our number two receiver and maybe elevate himself up to a number one after year two or year three. Uh, okay, I love it. It was great catching up with you. What's going on with you professionally, man? It seems like every time we pop up, dudes has got something else working. Uh, let's start with I am athlete tonight. Yeah, EA just announced it, uh, I think it was Monday, yesterday, yeah, <laughs> oh, Monday, that um, I will be the new host of I Am Athlete Tonight on Mad Dog Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82, so 7 to 9 p.m. every day we will have a show, uh, some of my co-hosts will be Shady McCoy, Pac-Man Jones, Brandon Marshall, Antoine Walker, Brandon Flowers, um, so we're going to have a good time, it's going to be a real locker room feel, right, it's going to be different from most sports shows, We'll talk sports topics, but we're going to take you inside the locker room, onto the field, inside the basketball arena, onside, in, into the baseball field, and really give you that in, interior, in, in-room locker feel, um, things that you may not know or, or how we feel from past experience. Because everybody that's coming on the show as a host or a co-host has played at least 10 years in their respective field. So it's going to be a good time. Again, 7 to 9 p.m., Sirius XM, Mad Dog Radio, I Am Athlete Tonight. Make sure you guys tune in. And that's every day, Monday through Friday? Monday through Friday, every day, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Dude, that is big. We're excited about that. So I'll have Sirius all primed and ready to go on 82 in the car when we're taking our family drives there in the early evening. Finally, what do you got going for the draft? Yeah, so for the draft, I'll be doing uh, the draft show for SNY. Um, so I'll be there Thursday as we kick off, you know, the draft seven to 8 PM pre-show for the draft. And we're doing a post-show 12 to 1230, uh, closeout show on Sunday for SNY as well. 6 PM on SNY six to seven, closing out the draft for the jets and what they did or didn't do during the draft. 
Also, I'll be on Good Morning Football uh, the the two days after the draft to give a synopsis of what I thought, what teams, you know, did a really good job in, dra- in the draft and which teams didn't do a good job in the draft. So Good Morning Football, uh, I believe it's Tuesday, March 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. I'll be on there uh, May 3rd. with Peter and everybody else. My guys, you know, Kate and, and Shregs. Uh, those are those are my family. Those are my family members. SNY is in the same building as they take Good Morning Football. So we're gonna have a good time on there, man. Man, I, I love it. Uh, well deserved. You put in the work. Uh, people are putting you on various platforms all over the place. No surprise there. I I got two final ones, and they're rapid fire. Your favorite Jets offseason addition to date has been who? Lincoln Tomlinson. Secondly, the draft is always about the quarterback dominoes. How many quarterbacks go in round one? Two. Deuce, enjoy you want the names, my man. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's going to be Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis. Okay, good stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see if one of those uh, come at number 10 because maybe a team's looking for a quarterback and they're calling the Jets. Who knows? We'll have to see. Yeah, keep an eye on Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, buddy. Great seeing you. All right. Appreciate you, EA.